Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast. My name is Chess Warren and this is our look at the beautiful game from the Champions League to the National League and beyond. Joining me this week from the other side of the mic is writer Sandra Broby for the Suns Women's Football and also Liv Griffiths. There's been lots of exciting football this week so we might as well just kick it off and get this show on the road. West Ham took on Manchester City, hoping for a rerun of the upset that they caused when they travelled to the Academy Stadium earlier on in the season, where they defeated the Blues 2-0. Unfortunately, though, it was just that hope, as City fizzled away any chance of a late winner for the Hammers, when all-time top goalscorer for the Sky Blues, Georgia Stanway, put them ahead in the eighth minute. And as hard as West Ham tried, they could not break through the solid City defence, They didn't register a single shot on target throughout the game. Buddy Shaw then added a second in the 63rd minute and that was lights out really. But another notable thing is that Chloe Kelly, who's been out for 11 months after rupturing her ACL, also came on to play for Manchester City in the last half an hour. Now, Sandra, West Ham are playing this fixture in the FA Cup semi-finals very soon. If you were Ollie Harder, how would you come at that next fixture? Well, I mean, they, during the game, they had quite a few... Well, they, they had some good good attacking moves for going forward. It's just in that final third, that cutting edge. I mean, Adriana Leon made, uh, you know, was quite was quite act- active on the wing. She, you know, she got into the box whenever she could. It's just the final thing in the, in, uh, the cutting edge uh, in the final third, which I think w- w- was lacking um, for them after the game. And, I mean, Oli Harder said he felt that they perhaps could have had at least one goal but he just said it's just like tidying up things a little bit at the back, making sure that you don't have errors. Like I think for the first goal, um, it might have apparently it might have been that um, Harrison Soka. I think she may have either given the ball away, was dispossessed, and that led to the um, opening goal for for Georgia Stanway. So it's just the kind of like I think they were talking about tidying up things a little bit at the back, or you know, cutting down you know any, any potential errors or mistakes, um, and then it will obviously just you know having a cutting edge in the final third. I mean they. It was City were very good, good, you know, for, for the points. Definitely deserved the win. Um, West Ham weren't too bad. It wasn't like a, you know, a completely. It wasn't a, a, t- a bad performance as such. But um, it's just the you know final thing that you know cutting edge in the final third and then just tidying up a bit more at the back defensively. But um, when you look at West Ham compared to last season, they're much improved. They you know they look like they're on course to finish at a higher position. They finished ninth last season, and it looks like they may well finish higher in the table. So that's progress. And they've got some really good players in there. Obviously, going forward, you've got Adriana Leon with so much pace. Um, and obviously, she was a miss when she was out injured earlier this season. Then they've also got people like Yui Hasegawa, um, you know, who is a gem, a real find, a great signing for them um, at that club. So, you know, yeah. I guess when you're playing those kind of top three sides, you just need to not make mistakes because yeah. they're the ones you just need to be perfect because they will capitalise on all of them. And as you mentioned there, Yui Hasegawa, I think it's just good for the league in general that they big name players from elsewhere Adriana Leon as well gold medal winner um are choosing to come to sides like West Ham you see people like Deanna Rose going to Reading and they're not they're coming into the WSL from elsewhere and they're choosing to not go to one of those top three sides it's not it's not a put off anymore not to go to Arsenal Chelsea or City which is really good but talking about City it's so great to see Chloe Kelly back on the field after so long she is such a talent she's still very young but do you think it's too late for her to sneak into that Euros team or is there just enough time? Because I think she would really be an asset if she's back up to full fitness. Well, I think uh, the talk was that, you know, I think one of the press conferences Serena Wiegman did uh, a couple of weeks back talked about waiting until the last minute just to see how she goes and waiting until that last minute. for the, And so they've got a few games left, you know, uh, before the end of the season. So I don't think it's, it's completely discounted. I think they are going to wait until that last minute um, before making a decision on on Chloe Kelly in terms of the England squad, but it's a great, um, with her being back, that's a great uh, selection headache that Gareth um, Taylor has now. I mean, he's got so much pace on the flanks, you know, with the like, whether it's the likes of Lauren Hemp, um, Hayley Rasso as well, and then obviously Chloe, Chloe Kelly making her comeback. And it's great timing, you know, given that they're going for that push for the top three as well. But I don't think it's completely out of the count to discount Chloe Kelly. And the, the talk is, I think that they're going to wait until the last minute in terms of uh, the England squad. Plus, I guess they've got the fixtures in June, haven't they? The friendlies. So if they want to try her out then, and if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. But you've got the kind of flexibility before the Euros to kind of try people out. But you mentioned their selection headaches um, that Gareth Taylor has. 
A notable move that did happen this week was Janine Becky from City to the Portland Thorns on a three-year deal, and that's with immediate effect. Becky really seemed to be stuck on the City bench this season, despite absolutely shining in the national team, both over the summer and also in things like the Arnold Clark Cup. Do you think that Taylor sometimes suffers from like a lack of rotation with his players and that pushes people to want to leave? I just think he's just got so much choice there. I mean, when you look at the midfield and you've got people like Vicky Lasada, you know, obviously Georgia Stanway's there. You've got, I mean, Laura Coombs is on the bench and she's a decent player and what have you. Great, uh, you know, players that come in for City, great options to have on the bench. And, you know, it's it's juggling, you know, when you've got so much quality in there, many of them international um, players as well. It, it's, you know, it. It wasn't surprising that she perhaps moved on because, like you say, she's done so well for Canada. She was, you know, very good in the Arnold Clark Cup, very good at the Olympics for them as well. So, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, it's, it's keeping those quality international players happy, particularly if they're on the bench. And, we, you know, we've seen even a couple of times that Ellen White's been on the bench and Khadija Shaw, uh, you know, started or Khadija Shaw's been on the bench. And she's a um, Jamaica international top, one of the top scorers in France when she was playing in the top flight there before moving to City. So it's how do you keep all those players, you know, happy, particularly if they're not starting every game, you know, it's, it's a, but it's a great choice to have, to have so much quality right across the squad for City. And over to the red side of Manchester, it was slightly less convincing where Manchester United took on Brighton at the Lee Sports Village. They shakily put the fixture to bed in the 68th minute with a strike from Leah Galton, a beautiful assist from Ella Toon. Now, although there was no win for Brighton here, it shows that they can be a really sticky side when they want to be. What do you think that Hope Powell is going to be taking from this fixture? Well, they they will be kind of, they probably would have felt they could have got a draw because particularly as the game went late on, they pushed and pushed. You know, and you know, and Libby Bantz coming on also helped make the difference, as well as um, Kaylee Green. So um, the takeaways from that will be, you know, it was I, okay. You don't want to lose, but it was just the one goal conceded, and you know, completely different result compared to, you know, when they played at home and and they, and they lost by more. So you know, there is improvement there. I guess it's just for Brighton. Is this again similar to to West Ham that final third sometimes, particularly against the higher end teams like you, you know, like United. So. Um, they, I don't. I mean, the goalkeeper Katie Startup. I thought she did very, very well for for much of the game. I mean, it's great choice that, that you know that Hope's got in, in terms of um, Megan Walsh and Katie Startup. I mean, that's what a great selection to have two quite you know decent goalkeepers to, to go with. I don't think Brighton be too disheartened. Again, they look like they may well finish higher up the table than they did last season. They look like they're heading that way and. You know, they've, their form has picked up, a, you know, a good time towards as we're coming towards the close of the season too. Yeah, and I guess for United as well, this was the fixture in where they tripped up last season, losing 1-0, which cost them their third place finish and cost them Champions League football. So I'm sure on their side as well, even though it was quite scrappy, they're probably quite happy that they've been able to put this one to bed. Yeah, but- Absolutely. But for the girl who got the assist, Ella Toon, it was uh, her 100th appearance for, for the club. She's the first player ever to make it to that many appearances. And it also just kind of reminds you for how little time Manchester United women have been about. Liv, do you think that they're impressive for a side that's only existed since 2018? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know that they sort of, when they sort of formed, there was a lot of you know, pressure on them. And also some people were sort of feeling like it was unfair because they had so much investment coming from the men's side into the game. And obviously they started in the championship. They, they took that by storm. And then obviously like to finish consistently, you know, they haven't quite broken into the top three at the moment, but you can see that progress is there. Changing managers, you thought with Casey Stoney leaving, perhaps they were not going to sort of hit the ground running again this season, but they are definitely up there. I do think, though, when, when you say 2018, I do feel like sometimes with them that's, you know, like even though they did grind out this 1-0 win, they are a little bit vulnerable and they are a little bit less experienced than the likes of Manchester City and Arsenal and Chelsea, who at the moment occupy those top three positions. But yeah, in terms of impressive, if you're a Man United fan and, you know, all of a sudden this women's team has come in four years ago, you, you'd be pretty happy where you're starting at. 
yeah it gives you some hope I guess and also unlike the the men's team at the moment I don't think it's very controversial to say this but the girls who play seem to want to play for the side they're playing for the badge a lot of players are fat like United fans themselves so I guess that kind of that adds to it a little bit but the fight for third does continue uh, United are on top at the moment. They do have a game in hand. It is just three points. So every game is a must win. They're just edging ahead on goal difference. But the blue side of Manchester arguably has the easier run of fixtures. United have Chelsea the last game of the season. Is it time to say better luck next year for United? Is it fourth place again, Sandra? What do you think? I think it will literally come down to that last game. I mean, City have got the the, the game in hand, but um, it will. I think it will come down to to that ver- that last game and just uh, and seeing what happens at Chelsea. I mean, that will be a huge challenge because obviously Chelsea are going to want to win every single game to to, to guarantee that they, um, you know, reclaim the title. So uh, yeah, I think it will come down to that last game at the end of the season. That will potentially decide what happens um, in terms of a uh, uh, top three. Um, finish uh, for for Man United for the first time in their history. Mm. Over to the fight for the top of the table. Arsenal travelled to the King Power Stadium on Sunday to rub salt in the wounds of a Leicester team who lost a depressing 9-0 to Chelsea the week before. Unless there was going to be a huge Birmingham-style upset on the cards, it seemed inevitable that the Foxes would have another tough 90 minutes to get through. Arsenal started with vigour in the second minute with Ford supplied a lovely cross over to Mead who volleyed it straight past the keeper. But Leicester's defence did tighten up and the score remained 1-0 for the rest of the first half. Arsenal continued to be unable to find the back of the net for the first 15 minutes of the second half until Eideval made two changes. The subs seemed to shake up the team and Miedemar added a second goal for the Reds in the 67th minute. Arsenal went on to net three more goals, including an own goal, which I have to admit did have a lovely assist from Nikita Paris to bring the tally up to five. Just notable as well, I saw this on Twitter and I thought it was very cute. Leicester are selling Fox's hats and all of the proceeds are going to Mind Charity at the moment. So definitely check them out because I, if I was a Leicester fan, I definitely would be bagging one of them. But Liv, Leicester only got one shot on the entire game. Are they missing injured Jess Sigsworth or is it time to buy some more strikers? Well, I think I think you summed it up there. They're missing a lot more than just Jess Sigworth. It was it's really disappointing Leicester's season at the moment. I mean, they should really count themselves lucky that Birmingham have just not been able to sort of string together any sort of results because it's a worrying time to be on that Leicester team. I thought in the summer they brought in some, you know, experienced WSL players, but it's just not quite worked. So perhaps Lydia Bedford needs to, you know, sort of try and get over the finish line this time and then sort of look at the preseason, kind of the players that they need. But I think desperately they need someone to be hitting those goals in. And, you know, Jessica was injured. If Tash Flint isn't doing it, they need to be looking at, okay, who's in the market right now and who needs a challenge? Um, so, yeah, I, I've got to say, like, they're very, very lucky this season. And hopefully next season they'll sort of strengthen because... They're kind of like Manchester United, you know, they've had a lot of investment as well. So it's just, it shows how tricky it is as well with that jump from championship to the WSL for them. So, yeah, I think missing a lot more than just Jess, unfortunately. Mm. But for Arsenal, another week and another bench position for Jordan Nobbs. There's been a lot of criticism for Jonas's lack of use of Nobbs and also rumours of her potential departure in the summer. Sandra, do you think she's just not fitting into what he thinks this new side will be? Is it lights out for her dream time at Arsenal? I don't think it's it's um, lights out as yet. I mean, she she you know she she does come on every so often. I mean, but it is a shame she's not starting. I know that Frida Marnham, you know, is a, is a you know preferred option. Um, well, she seems to be getting quite a lot of opportunities anyway, should I say. Um, I, I don't think quite yet, uh, you know, lights out for Jordan Nobbs. I know the fans would like to see her get more minutes, and um, you know, for Arsenal um, and, and probably would have expected her to get more this season, certainly. So um, I think it's one of these ones to just wait and see and see what the summer brings. But I mean, she's such an Arsenal stalwart as well. I don't think she'll go easily um, from the team. She's been a loyal servant for the club for, for so many years and help them, you know, at various points of trophy success. So we'll wait and see with that one. Mm. 
Talking about another Arsenal player who's been there forever, Williamson fell to the floor after a header during this fixture and she looked really, really dazed. She was medically checked out and allowed to carry on playing, but replaying the footage and knowing concussions don't always set in straight away, it definitely looked a bit dodgy, especially with the new concussion protocol coming in. Should she have carried on playing or should Idaval used his bench, which included two centre defenders, both BT and Boy, to switch things up a bit? Do we need some need some clarity about the new concussion protocols? No, I think Arsenal are on the, on the uh, you know quite on the top of that in terms of they quite clued up on it and and obviously with her continue that would have been in addition to you know decision between Idval and and Williamson we would have had um, the advice from the the medics on their bench as well. So um, and if they felt you know what she shouldn't carry on then the decision would have been made. But um, um, I, do, I think it's good that the, it, the decision is there and, and if the player is clearly not unwell and can't uh, carry on, for example, like with Ashley Plumtire last last weekend at Leicester, she had to come off after, you know, the, you know I think she hit her head on the post. So, you know, decisions have to be taken if, if you know, for the safety and well-being of the players. But I think in the case of Williamson, it's, un, it's unlikely she'd been allowed to continue if it wasn't for, you know, guidance from, from Arsenal's medics on the bench. Down in London, though, the Villains provided some upset at the Hive as they beat Spurs 1-0 from an 87th-minute header from Petzelberger at the back post. Villa now climb ahead of Everton into ninth in the table due to these three points. Now, Liv, Petzelberger seems to be doing this a lot recently. She's scoring a lot from the back post. Do you think it was bad foresight for the Tottenham defence not to stick someone on her? Yeah, I mean, you sort of said it yourself. She has she has been in these positions a lot, and you know we've seen it time and time again. But I don't know. It's it's always it's always hindsight, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing. Eighty seven minutes. I just feel like I'm not a professional footballer, but there's always going to be that lapse in concentration. You kind of what are you playing for at this point? It's nil nil. Are we are we trying to like win the game out, or are we trying to see the game out and get a point? So I don't know whether it was just a lack of concentration, um, but you know that's for Rianne Skinner to take away in that in that board at some point this week and to overanalyze. Um, but yeah, probably I would just say probably just a lack of sort of concentration right at the end. And to add on to that lack of concentration, Spurs before were fighting out for third, but now they've only gained one point from their last three fixtures. Liv, has the dream run out? Have they run out of steam? Well, I don't know, because we had Rianne on, you know, a few weeks ago and what she's building there, they kind of, they do believe that they can finish, you know, somewhere in that top five positions. Um, I think Spurs have been really unlucky because obviously we were meant to play Chelsea last week and that got postponed. So they've had, you know, they've not really had routine as much as some of the other some of the other um, teams that have had to play their fixtures as well. So, yeah, it's just, it's always that time in the season, isn't it, where there's just only a few games left and you do kind of look at what teams are going to keep fighting on. And Spurs kind of, they're quite new as well to this sort of WSL setup as well. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's ran out, but it's a really tiny, tiny little flame at the moment. Mm. And Sandra, do you think that this is good for Villa to show that they can stick it out and they can get something from fixtures like this? Yeah, absolutely. Like just having that kind of grit and, and you know, getting you know, that goal and, and the points that they need as well. It, you know, I think Carla Wall talk, talked about how, you know, how pleased she was to see them win in that manner, particularly as they shut Spurs out, did the, all they needed to do defensively. So it's quite motivating. And I think that they're on course all- to finish higher in the table than they did last season as well. So that's quite a boost for them. On Friday night, Everton travelled to down to Birmingham. Now, my partner and I had just returned back from our trip to Barcelona and we questioned whether to watch this fixture or head into York to meet a friend for a drink. Now, I said before the game, this will either be a game with a load of upset or literally the most boring game of football you ever saw in your entire life. Now, we chose to meet our friend for a drink and I'm glad we did because the game ended nil-nil. But to be fair to Everton, they did challenge Birmingham keeper Emily Ramsey to a number of solid saves. But there were plenty of unforced errors from both sides, meaning it was quite a sloppy 90 minutes. Sandra, the sun is setting on this Birmingham side. It's the question on everyone's lips, but the drop is now starting to look mathematically inevitable. What will happen to them next season? Well, I mean, obviously they'll fight to the very end. And I know Leicester have got a couple of uh, difficult games coming up, so that might 
be something in, in Birmingham's favour. Be, and it'd be a huge loss, I guess, for the WSL, for one of its founding teams to, for the first time in its history, go down to the championship. But uh, particularly then when you also consider some of the off-pitch issues they had last term. So, I mean, they've lost, like Rebecca Holloway, for example, she's gone. And, you know, if they were to go down, there may well be, you know, potential for an exodus of some of the players from, from that side. So uh, the aim will be obviously to just fight until the very end, until they it's not until it's not possible. But um, yeah, I mean, they, they really needed a win. They really needed three points against Everton. And then, and then they've got a tough game with Brighton coming up and, and Brighton are in, in decent form. Obviously, I know they had the, the slim loss against United, but they are in decent form and, and score against teams uh, lower down the table. So, you know, it's quite a tough one for Birmingham at the moment. The Everton side, though, to go on to who they were playing, was almost unrecognisable from the team that we saw play at Old Trafford last week. Liv, do you think that the woes that they've experienced this season are a mentality issue? What do you think? What do you think it is? Because it seems, from the way that they played at Old Trafford with such drive and desire, they didn't really seem to kind of put any of that together in what I watched from this fixture. No, they didn't. It's, you know, I think Everton will be really happy when this season finishes because it's just not gone to plan for them. Uh, to be honest, I thought before the season started, they were going to be like a surprise package. You know, they they bought really well. They bought Kenza Darley. She was one of West Ham's best players, I thought, last season. Tony Duggan, you had Izzy Christensen. You had experience in that team. And then when Willie Kirk left, it kind of all just went down the pan a little bit. And I think they've just lost that, not just that drive, but they've also lost their identity a little bit. And it's, at the moment, it's just not clicking for them. And yeah, I mean, I don't know whether the occasion of playing at Old Trafford, obviously, it was a big crowd, you know, special occasion. They probably were driven for that to say, right, let's cause an ep- upset here. Let's beat Manchester United at one of the most like, in like famous grounds that people know about to then travel to Birmingham on a Friday night. You know, it's just... It's not good enough from the players, to be honest. And I do think there are some mentality issues, but it's going to be something they have to take away in the summer because there needs to be serious change at Everton, not just in their water like we used to think last season when they were so good. <laughs> but Sandra, how if you were in charge, how would you reform them for next season? Is it the case that they need some team building activities or is it new players? I think it's just more gelling because... They did. They brought in quite a lot of quality. Um, you know, that obviously, um, you know, as as mentioned, uh, Liv mentioned there, you've got Kenza Dali. Then you also have people like Hannah Benison, one of the most talented, um, you know, promising young forwards in Europe, indefinitely in Sweden, coming in. And you've got so many a crop of new players coming into the team. It's 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 having that time to gel. But then also, I think the change of management. You know, two managers sacked. Uh, this season and, and then Chris Roberts is doing a good job with what so far I mean that they're, they're, mathematically there's well they are safe from relegation so that's something considering that you know where they are on the table is definitely not where they should be when you consider they were being you know thought of as a side that could challenge the top three something about having ha- the team having the time to gel and get to even more so with the car- you know with the players they have and then having one manager in consistently to have the ideas settle and to have the team you know have a philosophy and so yeah, I think the, the top end change of management probably didn't help. You know, two managers gone, but um, they seem to, it's, you know, the, the draw, the, the game on Friday might not have been the most glamorous to watch, but at least A, they didn't concede. It's another point on the board and they've kept themselves in the WSL. And, you know, they can, perhaps things may well go differently from the next season if they, if, if they get things together a little bit more, yeah. And for the final WSL fixture of the week, Chelsea dusted off their scoring boots again as they put five past Kelly Chambers' Reading. The first half ended 1-0 to Chelsea as Jesse Fleming scored in the 40th minute from a Beth England assist. But the floodgates opened in the second half as goals came from Beth England and two by Super Sam Kerr. A foul by Faye Bryson in the 91st minute conceded a penalty for England to put away the fifth in the dying moments of the game. This was a very good week if you had Beth England as your captain for your fantasy team. Now, Sandra, you were at the game. Was her play in person as good as it statistically looked? Well, she looks very, very much in form. She's just improved uh, over the, you know, this, this, this half of the season since she's come back from her injury. I mean, Emma Hayes was singing her praises after the game, just, you know, just in terms of how well she'd been doing in training. I think it's, is it six goals in the last, uh, maybe 
two or, two or three three games across all competitions or something like that. And she's just been quite clinical in front of goal. Her and Sam Kerr as well combined, you know, both smashing them in for Chelsea. And uh, yeah, Emma Hayes just saying towards the second half of the season, Beth England coming into form has been a real boost for them, for the team. And, you know, and that's been proven by the fact she's now back in the England squad as well. She's just been very, very good work quality up top for them. But what's going on at Reading, though? Because they went on a crazy win streak earlier on in the season and are now winless in eight games. Sandra, do you think it was the run of fixtures or did it look like fatigue? Um, I they didn't seem particularly fatigued against uh, Chelsea. I just think Chelsea were just, at, you know, in, in terms of this game, a cut above, like they really upped the ante in the second second half, Chelsea. Um, I mean, Re- Reading, they, even though like Chelsea pinned them in, uh, at various stages during the game, kept them in their own half. Reading, you know, defended as well as they could, as for as much as they could. When you when you consider the kind of the front line that they're facing, yeah, it, it may well be that you know maybe things are petered out a little bit, uh, particularly in attack for for them on on occasion this season. I mean, when you look at the other fixture, the reverse fixture, I mean, one nil against Chelsea, that's very very impressive, and keeping a clean sheet as well was you know but this game yesterday was just yesterday was just completely different <laughs> so a completely different Chelsea side they were facing almost you know so yeah I, I, you'd hope that maybe things might pick up for Reading towards the end of the season considering you know things picked up for them mid-season as well after that a very difficult start yeah definitely just gotta wait and see what happens but elsewhere on the continent though the Champions League quarterfinals dominated our thoughts throughout the week in the world of women's football Barcelona hosted Real Madrid at the sold-out Nou Camp for the return leg of El Clasico. I was lucky enough to be one of the 91,553 people in attendance at the stadium to see Barcelona beat their rivals 5-2. It was not only the most attended official women's football game ever, but also the most attended football match in Europe post-pandemic. The skill on show in this fixture was absolutely immense. Mappy Leon put Barca ahead in the eighth minute with a beautiful strike from just outside the box. And Real clawed back a penalty and scored right in front of the Barcelona Ultras. Just after half-time, though, Real Madrid's Sanchez chipped the keeper from just past the halfway line to take the visitors 2-1 up. The stadium silenced almost in disbelief as the Barca side, who have only conceded eight times in their league this season and have won every single game, went behind. And then Barcelona just turned on the gas. They scored four in 18 minutes, one being a beautiful strike from 20-year-old Claudia Pina. And the game, as I mentioned before, ended 5-2. I just want to talk for a minute about what it was like being at this game because it was like nothing I've ever experienced or attended before in my life. I was sat behind one of the goals and next to me was a woman in her 30s and her mother who spoke absolutely no English at all. They were shocked and really excited when I said I'd travelled for the fixture and the older lady gave me one of her many flags that she'd bought with her, her daughter explaining that she just wants you to have it. She's got so many at home. The new camp was full of fans. It wasn't just families and some fans. It seemed like every person there was a Maria, like from Arsenal. And as the team buses came in, they sang and they lit flares and they waved flags. And in the stadium, they screamed the Barcelona anthem. There was the mosaic squares. I'm sure you've seen it on Instagram or Twitter. But the thing that got me, though, was when Alexia Putea scored. The crowd screamed her name over and over and over again, like they would Messi, like they would Neymar or Ronaldo. The noise of over 90,000 people screaming for a female footballer, any footballer really, but a female footballer, it actually made me really quite emotional. And I know we see a lot on Twitter being like, you can't say now that nobody cares about women's football. And we talk about low attendances, we talk about low interest, but people do care. I saw it and I felt it. And I know the other 91,552 people who were there felt it too. Back to the football though. Although Real proved that Barca do have their weak spots, do you think this side is as unbeatable in the Champions League as they've proved to be in the Primera Division this season? Sandra, what do you think? I mean, they were when you look at Arsenal, for example, and that the, the the games they had against them in the group stages, and Arsenal are obviously the most successful side in England at the moment. The, the top two sides in teams in England competing for this season's title and then you see what Barcelona did to them in terms of the the goals they scored against them and just pinning them again in their own half it's 
they definitely are the favourites, I'd say, for, for the Champions League. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if, if PSG, what PSG might do, or, you know, potentially Lyon. But I, if I was betting, I'd put my money on Barcelona because they just seem to be a cut above at the moment. moment. And, you know, each time they're challenged, like you say, they went behind, you know, at the new Camp and they just, again, took it up a notch and that was yeah. it and, and blew them away. You know, so it, they've just got so much quality from, like you mentioned, obviously, Pateas, but then you've got players like uh, Lika Martins there, Caroline Graham Hansen. And then obviously, I mean, she's injured at the moment, but when you've got someone like Osh- Oshawala as well, you just, and they're just the variety of players they have, particularly in attack. It, and Aitana Bomati, it's just too much quality in that team, you know, but yeah. Yeah, and, and I'll be the first to say, I hadn't actually really ever clocked Claudia Pina before, but she was absolutely incredible. And then went on to score a hat-trick in their next game that they played over this weekend. But Liv, for you, what stood out about this fixture at the new Camp? Do you know what? I could sit here and sort of, we can do a bit-by-bit play of how the actual game went, but I think it was the, it was the occasion. It was, like you said, a sold-out crowd. You know, for women's football, it was like monumental and it's it's a game changer, isn't it? So I'm kind of jealous that you were there because when I'm listening to you talk about it, I was kind of getting like, I, I'm, I love going to stadiums and just like, you know, getting those goosebumps and hearing the music and seeing the crowds. And I think that's the most important thing from this game. Yes, of course, Barcelona winning. And also nice, it's nice to kind of see Real Madrid score some goals as well, because the last thing you want, if you're going to go to a sold out game, is like either a, a boring drubbing Everton Birmingham on a Friday night, nil-nil, or Barcelona doing what they do and go through the gears and just take out teams. Like you said, they've won all of their games in, in the Spanish Premier League. Um so yeah, like obviously the football itself was very, very good. But for me, what stood out was, yeah, women's football, highest attendance. I don't think you can beat that. Yeah, it was it was absolutely incredible. And it was things like, so I have the flag that the, uh, the older lady gave me, which was very lovely. And as I was coming back through security, trying to leave Spain, the border guard was like, what's that? What's that? And I was thinking, oh no, he's going to confiscate it. And he was like, oh, I'm a Real Madrid fan. Oh, you beat us. Like all this sort of stuff. And they were joking away and you go through. And I was, as I was getting on the flight, obviously they saw it in my backpack. And um, the person checking in, checking me in was like, oh my goodness, I'm so jealous. Did you get to go to the fixture? My, only my dad and my brother could get tickets. We couldn't even get tickets. It was meant to be incredible. And it was just that level of excitement is around women's football. But to be fair, around any football match I've, I've ever been to, I've never experienced anything like that. It, it really, really, it took me aback properly like the buzz around the stadium as I mentioned before when the buses were coming in and there were there were thousands and thousands of people there before the um, match even started they were screaming shouting waving their flags setting off flares and it was just absolutely incredible definitely makes a difference to what we're used to in um in in the UK when you have a couple of ultra fans stood stood outside trying to get photos with the players as they came in it was unlike anything else but I could talk about it for hours and hours but I'm not going to we've got it we've got the rest of the Champions League quarterfinals to cover but on the same evening a Covid stricken Bayern could not hold PSG at bay as a strike from substitute Ramona Backman in the 112th minute put the French side through 4-3 on aggregate. Sandra does PSG getting into the semis prove that they've recovered from let's put this lightly teething problems that they faced both on and off the pitch earlier on this season yeah I mean the performance was real again real battling performance from them you know and in particular I was quite I watched bits of that game not the full thing unfortunately but what I was really impressed with was seeing like Maria Katoto just defending as well so she you know someone who's been prolific in attack there she was clearing you know balls off the line and helping out when they needed to just get that win over the line so it's yeah, I think that, you know, it's, it's just impressive to see them and see them, you know, win in that manner as well. Very difficult team to beat PSG now, both uh, domestically in their, in, you know, in terms of their local division, but then also um, now in, in the Champions League. So, and again, the fans, again, not as much as um, you, what you saw at the new Camp, but the atmosphere they have. I mean, the, the ultras that support them too, it's great to see. So, you know, yeah, it's a great performance from them, in, you know, to get that win over the line in that manner. And the day after the last 
WSL team toppled out of the competition as a very lacklustre looking Arsenal were beaten 2-0 by Wolfsburg. A goal from former player Rod in the eighth minute and an own goal by Williamson put them behind. As the signer the supporter had at the match said, London is green. What happened to Arsenal in this fixture? I don't think it's very harsh to say that it was poor. Defensively, they can be cut apart and Wolfsburg exploited it to a T. Do you think this is an attitude problem? Because Arsenal can be so exciting, but sometimes they just do not turn up for fixtures. You saw that, I know you just mentioned, when um, Arsenal hosted Barcelona at the Emirates. It seemed exactly the same there. I know that Barcelona have an incredible amount of quality, but Wolfsburg do too. They just sometimes do not step up to the moment. Liv, what do you think? Well, I think, yeah, I think you summed it up there. They, they didn't. This should have been an occasion for them to rewrite some history and come back to the glory days that were Arsenal when, when they were competing in this competition. But I don't know. I just I do think it's a mentality thing. And, and we have discussed it before. You know, is the WSL the most competitive sort of um, league? Because, you know, if you have an Arsenal team that are winning 4 5 nil against Leicester City, are you really going to go into a Champions League with the same mentality? I don't know. Like, are you going to sort of look at whoever you're playing and be like, oh, we can just take the same sort of, you know, mentality that we did last time and and use it against this team? But I think it is an attitude problem there. I, and, I, and I don't know what Jonas Edevar can do. I think, you know, others have struggled before him. Uh, they just don't quite believe that they can sort of compete against these teams. It, that kind of, even if they won't say it out loud, it's kind of, you can see it in the way that they play. It was a bit shaky. It was a bit, you know, like you said, it was pretty poor. So, yeah, I just, I think it, it must be hard being an Arsenal fan because they give you so much, but also they give you so much, like little as well, when it comes to things like this, which they should be competing at. So, yeah, it's a bit worrying, but... I guess now they can focus on trying to put that pressure on Chelsea and try and even that's out of their hands now, really. So it's just been classic Arsenal, I'm afraid. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that actually about the WSL because that was what I was going to come to next. Do you think that the WSL is the best league in the world, as people say, when you have, when they come across our, our best teams, Chelsea and Arsenal come across teams like Wolfsburg and then just get completely put to bed. Sandra, what do you think? Um, I think what was interesting with that game against Wolfsburg, Arsenal were missing, like Leah Volti was a huge miss. Beth Mead, huge miss. You know, you just, you know, the, 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 the amount, that, the quality that Beth Mead brings in terms of that attack, in terms of the pace and what, you know, she, they, I think Wolfsburg may well have been more stretched and when you look at the when you say WSL and quality, yeah, you could say, I guess, with this season, when you think of Man City, the, the early exit they had from the Champions League, Real Madrid taking them out, you know, and then obviously Chelsea, Wolfsburg knocking them out too. Uh, and then obviously Wolfsburg knocking Arsenal out. It, it makes you question the quality of, of you know, are, are we, are, is the WSL there yet? Yeah, you could say that maybe more needs to happen in terms of uh, the team's maybe taking things up a notch but then at the same time you look at last season okay Chelsea got to that final for the first time again okay they were blown away but then many teams have been blown away by Barcelona this season yeah they're definitely you know maybe there is a step up that needs to happen but it's coming and then I think that Chelsea being there in the final last season is a sign of progress you know but um, yeah there's something that needs to happen in terms of bridging that gap between say the likes of an Arsenal and other other top teams with like a Barcelona or, or you know or even a Lyon so to speak. Mm. So, yeah, that does need to happen in terms of how do you bridge that gap and what needs to happen within the WSL to make that happen. It's funny, though, because you say about the miss of Leo Volti and also Beth Mead, which were obviously two massive misses, but Bayern were able to hold PSG. I know it wasn't enough, but they were able to hold PSG to a 2-2 draw with with seven starters being out with COVID. And I think they had about two or three substitutes and one of whom was a keeper. So it's it's like, I think it's definitely a level of belief because Bayern clearly had belief that they were going to get through that fixture because they, they took them into extra time. They took them to 120 minutes of extra time. But Arsenal just seemed to kind of fall apart in this fixture, which is obviously kind of sad to see. But the final Champions League quarterfinal had the ability to cause the most upset, I think. Juventus travelled to Lyon, entering the game, leading 2-1 on aggregate. 
But Leon swiftly put the threat to bed, scoring two before the break and adding a third through Macario in the 73rd minute. Juve clawed back one, but the game ended 4-3 to Leon on aggregate. So it's the other semi-final is an all-French match-up. Liv, do you think that PSG are still the underdogs, or do you think this is going to be a pretty, a pretty head-to-head fixture? Um, I, I don't really see PSG as underdogs because even last season when when they won the league, I, I didn't I, it didn't surprise me because I think Leon they have been dominate like they've been one of those teams sort of like it's kind of switched now. We all look at Barca, but we used to look at Leon as like the greats and they would just like attract some of the most like fantastic players that you would see. Um, but for Juve to come into that game, yes, okay, they they were leading on aggregate, but also, you know, I don't think they've really been in these sort of positions before and, and they held their own. So I don't see it as underdogs, to be honest. I see this as, this is going to be a pretty tasty match. I guess we will see what happens when it gets to the semi-finals. But back domestically in the championship, it is congratulations to Liverpool as they secure the championship title and that all-important promotion place as they won 4-2 at Bristol City. Neve Fahey opened the scoring in the 13th minute, but Aggie Beaver-Jones equalised a minute later. Jasmine Matthews restored the lead before half-time. American Katie Stengel made it 3-1, but Abby Harrison made them sweat as she got another goal back. But Scouser Missy Bokerns sealed the deal to spark wild celebrations at Ashton Gate in front of an FA Championship record attendance of 5,752 as the last goal went in. If I'm being completely honest, I wish I was out in Liverpool on a Sunday night as I'm sure the team would have been partying away and it would be a dream of mine to see Matt Beard in the middle of the revolving dance floor in the pop world in the centre of Liverpool 1. But Liverpool have been head and shoulders above everyone else this season, haven't they, Sandra? Yeah, they have. I mean, they, you know, they've, they've only lost a few games. It's been a storming run for them and Matt Beard's done a great job and and with this success, he's even like the first manager to have won a WSL title as well as a you know FA Women's Championship crown with with you know with a club and with Liverpool. So they've done a, a great job there, and it, it'll be and then obviously as a team that were a former giant in the WSL, one of the the, the leading sides. It'll be interesting to see how they progress with their return next season. Um, what changes, if any, Matt Beard may make in terms of the squad and, you know, new additions. Um, and it, it's great for the women's game for them to be back in the top tier, certainly. I feel like a lot of this is about intent. When they signed Katie Stengel, for example, former te- teammate of Viviana Miedemar, they showed intent that they were looking for that promotion. Liv, do you think that they can make an impact in the next season in the WSL? I'm going to go bold here and then we'll see what happens next uh, season. But to be honest, they're a, I think they're a ready-made WSL team that's been playing in the championship this season. So I would like, I think it was quite controversial the way they went down, obviously, like during COVID. Um, so I think it was just disappointing when they did, when they were relegated and they did struggle in that first season back in the champ, back in the championship. But it's such a hard league to get out of. And I don't think you can do it by luck I think you have to sort of be consistent and you need to like be like you said heads and shoulders above the rest and they have been that this season and they do attract really great players in that squad and Matt Beard is a very experienced coach and he's going to know he's got experience in the WSL he's going to know how to shape that team so yeah I'm going to go bold I think I think they'll do like red in Brighton and they'll be consistent next season I think they won't struggle as much as Leicester have Bristol City remains second despite the defeat, but it's tight behind them with a couple of results propelling you up the table. Now that's the case for Crystal Palace, who are now up to third after beating Blackburn Rovers 2-1. Molly May Sharp gave Palace the lead at Hayes Lane before Annabelle Blanchard equalised, but Palace claimed the three points thanks to Coral Jane Haynes. Sheffield United are fourth after a 2-0 win at Lewis thanks to goals from Lucy Watson and Kasha Lipka. London City Lionesses bounced back from their recent bad run, also winning 2-0 against Charlton. Head coach Melissa Phillips said she was pleased to see her side capitalise when her side were on top, as Corinne Mouya scored an injury time at the end of both halves. 
Charlton defender Anna Philby bemoaned their side's luck, but she took the blame for the goal, saying, they were my fault. When you play out from the back, you take risks and you're going to make mistakes. Despite being bottom, Coventry United remain unbeaten as they battled away to a nil-nil draw at Sunderland, which keeps their survival hopes alive. Watford could have pulled clear of Coventry United, but they squandered a two-goal lead at home to Durham. Welsh international Helen Ward gave the Hornets the lead at Kings Langley. Dee Bradley equalised before Watford's longest-serving player, Adakit Fataga Dada, put them 2-1 up, and then Flo Fife ended the lead to send the crowd bananas. But two goals in five minutes from Beth Heppel meant that Watford still remain only six points ahead of Coventry. So the title race may be over, but it's certainly not over at the bottom of the table. I'm guessing what after what's happened to Coventry, that the neutral would want them to stay up. Sandra, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. When you consider the, the fright they had just before Christmas, and, and which was, you know, a terrible thing to be told, oh, the, the, t- the clubs were going to fold and you're all out of, you know, out of your, 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 your professional careers here as, a, as footballers. I mean, it'd be a fantastic fairy tale, you know, for them to then recover from that. And, and you know, so it, it'd be good, I think, you know, for, for them, particularly given the season they've had and the fact that they've been rescued by, um, you know, by Lewis Taylor as well. Uh, to try, try and maintain that, that championship status is, is be great for, for Coventry. So it's given all that kind of difficulty, all that drama, I think they deserve it, certainly, you know, and, it's so much, and they've got so much backing and support, um, you know, so yes, yeah. I mean, I think they deserve it, particularly with all the struggles they've had this season. Let's move on to the National League next. Exercise. It doesn't have to mean Lycra or a fancy gym membership. A regular brisk 10-minute walk is a great way to get more active. Picking up the pace and getting your heart pumping can make a real difference to your health. To see how much you're doing and how you can fit more into your day, download the free Active 10 app. Better health. Let's do this. In the north, Wolves kept their pursuit of promotion as they beat Huddersfield 2-1. Ironically, the two goals came from Maria Gauntlet as they kept their lead six points at the top and also have two games in hand. Derby are in second after the manager of the month curse struck at Fylde. Joint manager Danielle Young and Kim Turner had won the award for March, but their side went down 5-1 in midweek at home to Huddersfield and on Sunday at home to the U's. Amy Sims and Sophie Domingo scored the goals as Fylde missed two penalties. Faye McCoy seeing her first penalty saved by debutant Imogen Maguire before McCoy stepped up again in the sixth minute of injury time but sent the ball wide. Nottingham Forest are in fourth thanks to a 92nd minute winner from Rachel Brown at Brighouse. Burnley FC women continued their high-flying goal scoring with a 7-0 win over bottom-of-the-table Hull City ladies in the Lancashire FA County ground. Eve Priestley and two from Courtney Willis had the Clarets 3-0 up at the break. And Millie Ravening added a fourth before Priestley added a second. And Katie Thomas and Nick Worthington added further goals. Stoke City gave their survival hopes a boost as they moved three points clear of the drop zone thanks to a 4-2 win over Loughborough Lightning. And West Brom won 2-0 at Sheffield FC who remain 11 points adrift of safety. In the South, it's title race on as Southampton went to league leaders Ipswich and won 2-1. Paige Peak had given the Tractor Girls the lead, but a second-half comeback saw goals from Lucia Kendall, check out her strike, and Ella Pousse move Marianne Spacey-Kale's team to within a point of Ipswich with two gains in hand. Ipswich manager Joe Sheehan called it a massive blow. Now, Sandra, two massively ambitious sides in an exciting title race with an absolute legend in the Saints dugout. It's going to be one to watch, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's good. And it's good to see them both doing so well. And you saw what Ipswich, how far they got in terms of the FA Cup. So, yes, it's exciting one to watch and looking forward to seeing how that transpires this season and who, who comes up. Oxford United took advantage to move four points behind Ipswich also with a game in hand, as they thumped Canesham 9-0. The Yellows were 5-0 up at half-time and added a further four in the second half with Carly Jones' hat-trick, the pick of the scorers. 
Bridgewater United won 1-0 over London Bees at Fairfax Park, and they remain fourth. At the bottom, Plymouth Argyle remained just above the relegation zone on goal difference as they came out on the wrong side of a seven-goal thriller. Chichester and Selsley kept their slim survival hopes alive by winning 7-1 at Hunslow, and they remained seven points adrift of safety. Elsewhere, a big 3-0 win for MK Dons down in the south coast as they defeated Portsmouth 3-0 at Fratton Park thanks to goals from Nicole Pepper, Chaz Albert and Tally Miles to move two points clear of the drop zone. We'll now take our weekly look at a European league and this week it's the Eredivisie. At the top, FC Twente lead Ajax by two points. Twente won 5-0 away at bottom side Excelsior Barondrecht. They were helped by two own goals from the home side, plus goals from Fina Karma and Dutch internationals Kaylee Von Doren and Rene Janssen. Talking of the Dutch, they head into the international break, top of Group C, and they take on bottom of the table Cyprus, who currently have one point and have conceded 30 goals in their six matches so far. Then they host South Africa in a friendly. Sandra, in terms of the international fixtures, what are you looking forward to most? The, definitely the uh, Northern Ireland's England game, just seeing how that match, the atmosphere at Windsor Park and how that, that match may differ, if anything, um, compared to the game at Wembley. Um, you see London City, London City's Lily Ags being given a call up uh, to, you know, which, which is great uh, for Northern Ireland. So um, it'd be good to see how Northern Ireland do this time round. And also Beth England's going to be back for, for the Lionesses. So it'd be good to see how she does when she returns, if she, you know, if she starts or gets an appearance and what have you. Also be good to see whether, uh, for example, Katie Zellem gets uh, opportunities uh, during this international break as well. I mean, I, I think she's done relatively well in Man United's last few games. So, um, yeah, yeah, definitely be good to see um, how England do at Windsor Parker against uh, Northern Ireland. It'll be interesting to see whether Serena needs her set-piece merchant in Zellum in these upcoming yeah. <laughs> fixtures. You never know. <laughs> Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TW. FP1 and on Instagram at the Women's Football Podcast. Make sure to give us a like and a five star review. We'll see you all soon. Bye.